Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. by Francis Hodgson Burnett, published in 1911. If you'd like to listen to this story's episodes easily in order, go to snoozecast.com slash series. In the last episode, Mary likens Colin to a young Raja, a boy king she had encountered while in India, and nothing at all like Dickon. While they sit together, Mrs. Medlock and Colin's doctor, Dr. Craven, come in. Dr. Craven does not approve of Mary cheering Colin up. He seems to think Colin should stay ill and miserable. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. One day, Mary inquired to Colin, Why does it make you angry when you are looked at? I always hated it, he answered, even when I was very little. Then when they took me to the seaside, and I used to lie in my carriage, everybody used to stare, and ladies would stop and talk to my nurse, and then they would begin to whisper, and I knew then that they were saying I shouldn't live to grow up. 
Then sometimes the ladies would pat my cheeks and say, Poor child. Once, when a lady did that, I screamed out loud and bit her hand. She was so frightened, she ran away. She thought you had gone mad like a dog, said Mary, not at all admiringly. I don't care what she thought, said Colin, frowning. I wonder why you didn't scream and bite me when I came into your room, said Mary. Then she began to smile slowly. I thought you were a ghost or a dream, he said. You can't bite a ghost or a dream, and if you scream, they don't care. Would you hate it if, if a boy looked at you? Mary asked, uncertainly. He lay back on his cushion and paused thoughtfully. There's one boy, he said quite slowly, as if he were thinking over every word. There's one boy I believe I shouldn't mind. It's that boy who knows where the foxes live, Dickon. I'm sure you wouldn't mind him, said Mary. The birds don't, and other animals, he said, still thinking it over. Perhaps that's why I shouldn't. He's a sort of animal charmer, and I'm a boy animal. Then he laughed, and she laughed too. In fact, it ended in their both laughing a great deal and finding the idea of a boy animal hiding in his hole very funny indeed. What Mary felt afterward was that she need not fear about Dickon. On that first morning, when the sky was blue again, Mary wakened very early. The sun was pouring in slanting rays through the blinds, and there was something so joyous in the sight of it that she jumped out of bed and ran to the window. She drew up the blinds and opened the window itself, and a great waft of fresh, scented air blew in upon her. The moor was blue, and the whole world looked as if something magic had happened to it. There were tender little fluting sounds here and there and everywhere, as if scores of birds were beginning to tune up for a concert. Mary put her hand out of the window and held it in the sun. It's warm, warm, she said. It will make the green points push up and up and up, and it will make the bulbs and roots work and struggle with all their might under the earth. She kneeled down and leaned out of the window as far as she could, breathing big breaths and sniffing the air until she laughed because she remembered what Dickens' mother had said about the end of his nose quivering like a rabbit's. 
It must be very early, she said. The little clouds are all pink, and I've never seen the sky look like this. No one is up. I don't even hear the stable boys. A sudden thought made her scramble to her feet. I can't wait. I'm going to see the garden. She had learned to dress herself by this time, and she put on her clothes in five minutes. She knew a small side door, which she could unbolt herself, and she flew downstairs in her stocking feet and put on her shoes in the hall. She unchained and unbolted and unlocked, and when the door was open, she sprang across the step with one bound, and there she was standing on the grass, which seemed to have turned green, and with the sun pouring down on her, and warm, sweet wafts about her, and the fluting and twittering and singing coming from every bush and tree. She clasped her hands for pure joy and looked up in the sky, and it was so blue and pink and pearly and white and flooded with springtime light that she felt as if she must flute and sing aloud herself and knew that thrushes and robins and skylarks could not possibly help it. She ran around the shrubs and paths towards the secret garden. It is all different already, she said. The grass is greener, and things are sticking up everywhere, and things are uncurling, and green buds of leaves are showing. This afternoon I am sure Dickon will come. The long, warm rain had done strange things to the herbaceous beds which bordered the walk by the lower wall. There were things sprouting and pushing out from the roots of clumps of plants, and there were actually here and there glimpses of royal purple and yellow unfurling among the stems of crocuses. Six months before, Mistress Mary would not have seen how the world was waking up, but now she missed nothing. When she had reached the place where the door hid itself under the ivy, she was startled by a curious loud sound. It was the caw-caw of a crow, and it came from the top of the wall. And when she looked up, there sat a big, glossy-plumaged blue-black bird, looking down at her very wisely indeed. She had never seen a crow so close before, and he made her a little nervous. But the next moment, he spread his wings and flapped away across the garden. She hoped he was not going to stay inside, and she pushed the door open, wondering if he would. When she got fairly into the garden, she saw that he probably did intend to stay, 
because he had alighted on a dwarf apple tree, and under the apple tree was lying a little reddish animal with a bushy tail, and both of them were watching the stooping body and rust-red head of Dickon, who was kneeling on the grass, working hard. Mary flew across the grass to him. Oh, Dickon, Dickon, she cried out. How could you get here so early? How could you? The sun has only just got up. He got up himself, laughing and glowing and tousled, his eyes like a bit of the sky. Eh, he said, I was up long before him. How could I have stayed abed? The world's all fair begun again this morning, it has, and it's working and humming and scratching and piping and nest building and breathing out scents till you've got to be out on it instead of lying on your back. When the sun did jump up, the moor went mad with joy, and I was in the midst of the heather, and I run like mad myself, shouting and singing, and I come straight here. I couldn't have stayed away. Why, the garden was lying here waiting. Mary put her hands on her chest, panting, as if she had been running herself. Oh, Dickon, she said, I'm so happy I can scarcely breathe. Seeing him talking to a stranger, the little bushy-tailed animal rose from its place under the tree and came to him, and the rook, cawing once, flew down from its branch and settled quietly on his shoulder. This is the little fox cub, he said, rubbing the little reddish animal's head. It's named Captain, and this here's Soot. Soot, he flew across the moor with me, and Captain, he ran same as if the hounds had been after him. They both felt same as I did. Neither of the creatures looked as if he were the least afraid of Mary. When Dickon began to walk about, Soot stayed on his shoulder, and Captain trotted quietly close to his side. See here, said Dickon. See how these is pushed up, and these, and these, and uh, look at these here. He threw himself upon his knees, and Mary went down beside him. They had come upon a whole clump of crocuses burst into purple and orange and gold. Mary bent her face down and kissed and kissed them. You never kiss a person in that way, she said when she lifted her head. Flowers are so different. He looked puzzled, but smiled. Eh, he said, I've kissed mother many a time that way when I come in from the moor after a day's roaming and she stood there at the door in the sun, looking so glad and comfortable. 
They ran from one part of the garden to another and found so many wonders that they were obliged to remind themselves that they must whisper or speak low. He showed her swelling leaf buds on rose branches which had seemed dead. He showed her ten thousand new green points pushing through the mold. They put their eager young noses close to the earth and sniffed its warmed springtime breathing. They dug and pooled and laughed low with rapture until Mistress Mary's hair was as tumbled as Dickens and her cheeks were almost as poppy red as his. There was every joy on earth in the secret garden that morning, and in the midst of them came a delight more delightful than all, because it was more wonderful. Swiftly, something flew across the wall and darted through the trees to a close-grown corner. A little flare of red-breasted bird with something hanging from its beak. Dickens stood quite still and put his hand on Mary, almost as if they had suddenly found themselves laughing in a church. We munna stir, he whispered in broad Yorkshire. We munna scarce breathe. I knowed he was mate hunting when I seed him last. It's Ben Weatherstaff's Robin. He's building his nest. He'll stay here if us don't flight him. They settled down softly upon the grass and sat there without moving. Us mustn't seem as if us was watching him too close, said Dickon. He'd be out with us for good if he got the notion us was interfering now. He'll be a good bit different till all this is over. He's setting up housekeeping. He'll be shyer and readier to take things ill. He's got no time for visiting and gossiping. Us must keep still a bit and try to look as if us was grass and trees and bushes. Then when he's got used to seeing us, I'll chirp a bit, and he'll know us will not be in his way. Mistress Mary was not at all sure that she knew, as Dickens seemed to, how to try to look like grass and trees and bushes. But he had said the strange thing as if it were the simplest and most natural thing in the world, and she felt it must be quite easy to him. And indeed, she watched him for a few minutes carefully, wondering if it was possible for him to quietly turn green and put out branches and leaves. But he only sat, wonderfully still, and when he spoke, dropped his voice to such a softness that it was curious that she could hear him, but she could. It's part of the springtime, this nest building is, he said. 
I warrant it's been going on in the same way every year since the world began. They've got their way of looking and thinking and doing things, and a body had better not meddle. You can lose a friend in springtime easier than any other season if you're too curious. If we talk about him, I can't help looking at him, Mary said as softly as possible. We must talk of something else. There is something I want to tell you. He'll like it better if us talks of something else, said Dickon. What is it thou's got to tell me? Well, do you know about Colin? She whispered. He turned his head to look at her. What does thou know about him? He asked. I've seen him. I have been to talk to him every day this week. He wants me to come. He says I'm making him forget about being ill and dying, answered Mary. Dickon looked actually relieved as soon as the surprise died away from his round face. I'm glad of that, he exclaimed. I'm right down glad. It makes me easier. I knowed I must say nothing about him, and I don't like having to hide things. Don't you like hiding the garden? said Mary. I'll never tell about it, he answered. But I says to Mother, Mother, I says, I got a secret to keep. It's not a bad un that knows that. It's no worse than hiding where a bird's nest is. Thou doesn't mind it, does thou? Mary always wanted to hear about Mother. What did she say? She asked, not at all afraid to hear. Dickon grinned, sweet-temperedly. It was just like her, what she said, he answered. She give my head a bit of a rub and laughed and says, Oh, lad, thou can have all the secrets thou likes. I've knowed thee twelve year. How did you know about Colin? asked Mary. Everybody has knowed about Mester Craven, knowed about a little lad as was like to be a cripple. And they knowed Mr. Craven didn't like him to be talked about. Folks is sorry for Mr. Craven because Mrs. Craven was such a pretty young lady and they was so fond of each other. Mrs. Medlock stops in our cottage whenever she goes to Thwaite and she doesn't mind talking to mother before us children because she knows us has been brought up to be trusty. How did thou find out about him? Martha was in fine trouble the last time she came home. She said you'd heard about him fretting and you were asking questions and she didn't know what to say. Mary told him her story about the midnight wuthering of the wind which had wakened her and about the faint, far-off sounds 
of the complaining voice which had led her down the dark corridors with her candle and had ended with her opening of the door of the dimly lighted room with the carven four-posted bed in the corner. When she described the small ivory-white face and the strange black-rimmed eyes, Dickon shook his head. Them's just like his mother's eyes, only hers was always laughing, they say, he said. They say as Mr. Craven can't bear to see him when he's awake, and it's because his eyes is so like his mother's, and yet look so different in his miserable bit of a face. Do you think he wants to die? whispered Mary. No but he wishes he'd never been born. Mother, she says that's the worst thing on earth for a child. Them as is not wanted scarce ever thrives. Mr. Craven, he'd buy anything as money could buy for the poor lad, but he'd like to forget as he's on earth. For one thing, he's afraid he'll look at him some day and find he's growed hunchback. Colin's so afraid of it himself that he won't sit up, said Mary. He says he's always thinking that if he should feel a lump coming, he should go crazy and scream himself to death. Eh, he oughtn't to lie there thinking things like that, said Dickon. No lad could get well as thought them sort of things. The fox was lying on the grass close by him, looking up to ask for a pat now and then. And Dickon bent down and rubbed his neck softly and thought a few minutes in silence. Presently, he lifted his head and looked round the garden. When first we got in here, he said, It looked like everything was gray. Look round now and tell me if thou doesn't see a difference. Mary looked and caught her breath a little. Why, she cried, the gray wall is changing. It's as if a green mist were creeping over it. It's almost like a green gauze veil. Aye, said Dickon and it'll be greener and greener till the gray's all gone. Can thou guess what I was thinking? I know it was something nice, said Mary eagerly. I believe it was something about Colin. I was thinking that if he was out here, he wouldn't be watching for lumps to grow on his back. He'd be watching for buds to break on the rose bushes and he'd likely be healthier, explained Dickon. I was wondering if us could ever get him in the humor to come out here and lie under the trees in this carriage. I've been wondering that myself. I've thought of it almost every time I've talked to him, said Mary. I've wondered if he could keep a secret, and I've wondered if we could bring him here without anyone seeing us. I thought perhaps you could push his carriage. The doctor said he must have fresh air. 
and if he wants us to take him out, no one dare disobey him. He won't go out for other people, and perhaps they will be glad if he will go out with us. He could order the gardeners to keep away so they wouldn't find out. Dickon was thinking very hard as he scratched Captain's back. It'll be good for him, I'll warrant, he said. Us would not be thinking he'd better never been born. Us would be just two children watching a garden grow, and he'd be another. Two lads and a little lass just looking on at the springtime. I warrant it'd be better than doctor's stuff. He's been lying in his room so long, and he's always been so afraid of his back that it has made him strange, said Mary. He knows a good many things out of books, but he doesn't know anything else. He says he has been too ill to notice things, and he hates going out of doors and hates gardens and gardeners but he likes to hear about this garden because it is a secret. I daren't tell him much, but he said he wanted to see it. Us'll have him out here sometime for sure, said Dickon. I could push his carriage well enough. Has the notice how the robin and his mate has been working while we've been sitting here? Get him perched on that branch, wondering where it'd be best to put that twig he's got in his beak. He made one of his low, whistling calls, and the robin turned his head and looked at him inquiringly, still holding his twig. Dickon spoke to him as Ben Weatherstaff did, but Dickon's tone was one of friendly advice. Where's ever that puts it, he said. It'll be all right. Then knew how to build a nest before you even came out of an egg. Get on with thee, lad. That's got no time to lose. Oh, I do like to hear you talk to him, Mary said, laughing delightedly. Ben Weatherstaff scolds him and makes fun of him and he hops about and looks as if he understood every word, and I know he likes it. Ben Weatherstaff says he is so conceited, he would rather have stones thrown at him than not be noticed. Dickon laughed too, and went on talking. The nose us won't trouble thee, he said to the robin. Us is near being wild things ourselves. Us is nest building too, bless thee. Look out that doesn't tell on us. And though the robin did not answer, because his beak was occupied, Mary knew that when he flew away with his twig to his own corner of the garden, the darkness of his dew bright eye meant that he would not tell their secret for the world. <laughs>